0: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Martonic. Hey
1: everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Jacob Myers of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This is part two of the interview with Jacob. The first one came out earlier this week, all about wind and thermals for deer hunting. We discuss wind speed, wind mapping, wind indicators, thermal pressure buildup flatland thermals and breaking down some real hunting scenarios in the big woods and hill country in the mountains here Uh, so we break those down so make sure you go back and listen to part one first if you haven't it'll kind of get you up to speed to where we are at this point as we start breaking down some of these scenarios and everything but I think you'll find a lot of really good value in this one 100% Anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. All right. So as I mentioned on the earlier podcast, if you're at the Colorado Total Archery Challenge out in Glenwood Springs... This weekend, as this podcast releases, I'll be on an airplane going out to Colorado and to to go out there and shoot and and I'll be working at the Sica booth. So stop by. Say hello. I'd love to be able to chat. I'm excited to go to this this event. I've never done any of the Western Total Archery Challenges, so I'm hoping that uh, I'm ready to go for some of these shots. But so either way, it'll be fun. Do some podcasts there, and yeah, have have a lot of fun with it. Got a lot of podcasts in the queue here. I've recorded. I, I really have enough recorded that I could probably get me through September to this point. But I'll probably start uh, as I, as I'm when I'm home here to be able to. You put out two a week on some of them, and just keep putting out the stuff. No other reason to do it other than I just have so many things that I, I want to put out there and, and and talk about, and whether I want to I want to cover the Western hunting game, I want to cover the whitetail side, and it's hard to hard to do that with a weekly show. But anyways, be putting some of that stuff out. All right, let's get into the part that everyone's been waiting for: the Prime Inline Three Bow giveaway. So, giving away a Prime Inline Three Bow exact replica to the one that i'm taking out west this year it's really sweet setup taking out the total archery challenge here this weekend and this bow giveaway goes out to tyler monk out of pennsylvania so it's funny that tyler happened to be at the mountain buck scouting camp i've got to meet him he came up to the booth at total archery challenge really pumped for tyler Uh, he can get that Matthews out of his hands and get a prime bow in his hands now so congratulations Tyler reach out to me via email and I'll get you set up make sure I get that bow to you and you're ready to go So thanks everyone who entered into that. Uh, Really appreciate it. We'll be doing more more giveaways throughout the year. So make sure you're signed up for the email list at my website, eastmeetswesthunt.com. A little pop-up comes up. Just fill in your email address and you're entered. I just send out a weekly email, not spamming you of any sorts. Don't give it out to anybody else. It's all right there. But thank you for everyone that entered. And I hope you have a good rest of your week and weekend. Another thing that I, that I wanted to ask you about and we kind of skipped over it was wind speed, um, and kind of how that affects different things. So give me your, your thoughts on wind speed, how that interacts with thermals and then just in general, what wind speed can do for you or against you.
0: Yeah. So wind speed can definitely like counteract thermals. So, uh, that's something you have to pay, you know, pay attention to. And I think a lot of guys, getting into hunting because they just had the mindset or even they've been hunting for a long time, but they have had the mindset. I was hunt with the wind in my face, which can work on certain setups, but other times you might want to cross wind, or even like kind of you in your situation with that buck you killed early season, you know, maybe like a killing wind where that wind or that thermal so light is kind of going just past where that deer is going to be walking towards you. But, the the idea is when you start talking thermals and then we start talking wind, people get confused because they're like, well, you just talked about all how the affects the thermals, but then you start talking about the wind and the wind can negate a lot of that sometimes, and it can, and that kind of brings back to the whole point of light and variable days, very light winds, like light. And, when it says like you look at your app, it says light and variable or like under two miles an hour. Play pay attention to your thermals, like really really hard, like like you need to do everything you need to do off thermals. If it's like over, especially like in this area, if it's over four or five mile an hour, and that's kind of like the sustained winds. You're still paying attention to thermals, but you're really paying attention to that wind current and where that wind, where your scent cone's going to. Because I think a lot of people, they think about like, oh, I'm sitting in this one spot, you know, that my scent 100 yards behind me, like deer aren't going to smell me. But they don't think about what that scent does at different wind speeds and how it may swirl back, like 100, 200 yards out there may swirl back into a different area and you have deer blowing at you. And you're like, how do they smell me? And again, because so many people look at like just right where they're at, but they're not looking, you know, 100, 150 yards down below them or behind them where that scent cone's getting dispersed to uh, of what kind of effect can happen. And actually, I was just listening to one of our podcasts, getting ready for this podcast uh, that came out like a year and a half ago with a guy out of Texas, uh, David Toms, and he's a big proponent of hunting on the ground for this ex- uh, specific reason. Uh, he hunts exclusively off the ground. We're well, not exclusively. He'll still hunt out of a tree stand or a saddle. But a lot of hunts when he's like, hey, there's higher wind speeds. I'm hunting on the ground because my thermal cone or my scent cone on the ground isn't going to disperse nearly as quickly uh, as it is in the air. And I actually was able to get more confidence about that answer in specifics with a guy that we interviewed last year, uh, which I cannot – I think it's Tom Brownlee. Uh, he's a professor up at uh, – I think it's University of uh, – or Montana State University, one of the schools up there in Montana. And he's a world-renowned uh, canine instructor and canine trainer. And he talks about, like, the capabilities of what a dog can smell compared to what a deer can smell. A deer is so much stronger than any dog alive, bloodhound or not. Like, th- those dogs are about 220 million nose receptors versus a deer is like 300, 310 million, okay? And he's talking about how easy it is. If you were up elevated, how easy a dog could win you at, like, hundreds of yards depending on the wind speed. Compared to, like, if you're on the ground, it disperses so much slower. It, it's like you got to think of it almost like water. Like, there's stuff catching that scent as you're, like, on the ground versus when you're up in the air. It just kind of goes wherever. Um, so, back to the point here where we're getting at wind speed. Uh, wind speed can play uh, – it can help you. It also can severely hurt you depending on whether you're hunting flatland, hill country, or mountains. And from a lot of guys I've heard that are very successful in the mountains, especially, like, in the Ozark Mountains in the lower part of the Appalachian, really like those light and variable days over days with higher winds just because they have a more consistent setup than with the higher winds because they're worried about where's that wind swirling? Maybe not next to me, but 100 yards behind me, where's that wind swirling that's going to you know shoot me in the foot later on?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a good point because you get yeah when you have that higher winds and it's it's blowing it back and it's again same thing if you're you know shooting something out of a, a you know you're shooting something out of a rifle versus out of a BB gun as far as how far it's able to go well then obviously then once you hit different terrain or vegetation or whatever it could cause that swirling to to happen and at a further distance away and it's it's a little bit harder to predict that than you know even as much as you want to look at maps and, and try to understand it, it's a lot dif- more difficult to do that. I love, I love cold, calm mornings. That's my, like, that's my go-to, but, uh, but I'm also like not, I'm not going to not hunt if there's higher winds. It's just uh, a oh, little bit different. Absolutely. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. We're going to grind it out no matter what. And also you got to think of like, again, the area that you're hunting, you know, flatlands, you know, your scent cone's going to get dispersed. And at a certain point, the scent cone uh, per, um, uh, uh Professor Brownlee had talked about at a certain point, your scent's only going to go so far. Uh, he talks about it's a ratio that they've studied where for every uh, one mile an hour of wind, your scent will travel 10 feet roughly. Um, so you can kind of almost calculate depending on the wind speed and also how straight that wind is it, it not being uh, swirling of uh, roughly how far out that scent cone could potentially go uh, in those areas. And that's not counting gusts and everything. That's that kind of sustained wind. But, there's just a a lot of factors that come into it. But really the biggest thing is if you have high wind speeds, if you're hunting, especially like hill country, like where we're at, I'm trying to put myself in the situation where there is like the least amount of chance that buck's coming from directly behind me. Okay. Like that's just the, that's the number one factor. It sounds so simple. It, It can be, but it's like, whether you're setting up on the head of a drainage and I have a super long, uh, drainage behind me or Creek drainage that runs for a very long ways, kind of straight, that's perfect because my scent can kind of funnel down through that. All the wind can kind of funnel down through that. Uh, and then everything else that's kind of the meat and potatoes is all out in front of me to my left and right, kind of uh, more laterally uh, to where I'm at. Um, and again, flatlands, like I hunted Iowa last year, late season, and going back again this year. And it's like, it was high winds while we were out there, but thank God it's flat, at least where we were at. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, as long as you kind of key in on that, where that that scent cone's going, you're going to be in the clear and in, in the good. Uh, but I'll say this also, when it comes to like being excited about topics, thermals definitely get me more excited when it comes to just what can be learned there and how you can use it to your advantage than understand just the wind speed itself. Cause I mean, wind speed, it's one of those things like you got to go out there and you got to figure out what is that wind doing in your certain areas, especially if you have like designated spots that you like to hunt and, and kind of learn what's going on. I had a guy, there was an old article. This is back in, I think it might've been North American whitetail hunter, uh, this 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago, they talked about lighting going out with a smoke bomb and like if you doesn't like stand locations that were like permanent stand locations putting a smoke bomb out there and lighting it and it's preferably you want to do it kind of during the time of the year that you're going to be hunting because the thermals and and the moisture air everything can can affect differently but seeing where that smoke goes and walking out 100 200 yards around and seeing if it's pulling up or swirling anywhere because you can visually see it um And I've always thought, like, that would be super cool to do in the woods, but we're so mobile. I don't have specific spots I'm going to hunt multiple times so it really doesn't matter. Uh, But I thought that was pretty interesting, talking about, like, some of his big rut funnels and stuff. He would do that and kind of key in. I can't remember the name of the author uh, or the writer, but he would key in on stuff like that and kind of figure out where he could find, like, a dynamite spot that he could, like, all that scent, all that smoke would all go in a certain direction that kind of kept him in the, the open and clear.
1: Oh, that's 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 a super interesting. I and I want to say, did you did you say did you talk about that on the podcast before?
0: We have it's, it's been a while talking about that specific. Uh,
1: I've talked I feel like I've heard that before, but I, I didn't read the article. But I I thought I'd heard it at one point. But that's that's really cool. And um, and yeah, that's it's it's interesting how everyone has their own ways of. Trying to figure all this stuff out, and like for me, I just I, I'll do a lot of like wind mapping by looking at maps and trying to understand how it would flow, or maybe one mountain's higher than the other and blocking it, and maybe that causes something different to happen. But like my big thing is like just carrying milkweed as a mount, and just even if it's not the right time of the year, just just learning how things are doing and just noting it. And, and, and I was talking, I was being interviewed on another podcast last night and they were asking me questions about like, when, when can you have data overload? And when, like, as far as like paralysis by analysis. And I definitely struggle with that sometimes because I do take so much data in, but there's a point where it's like, then you kind of got to go with your gut and just try things and see how it goes. Like there's, there's a point where, yeah, you, you want to pay attention as much as you can, learn as much as you can, but don't let it completely destroy you <laughs> and uh and break you down. It depends on your personality. I feel like engineers or anybody like in that frame of mind, it can it can be difficult sometimes.
0: Yeah, I'll say this too. A lot of guys will go go back to like Well, my granddad, he didn't do any of that. And he killed a bunch of good deer and killed a bunch of big deer and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, he absolutely did. And he definitely learned something while he was out there of like what helped him be successful. Why sit in the same area or still hunt the same area. And I always catch bucks coming through here during the rut. Yes. But when you understand, like, how much data is out there and what's being learned and what you can learn about, you can shorten that learning curve that maybe took him 50, 60 years to become successful, like, really successful. You can shorten that until, like, the matter of just a couple years if you go out there and implement some of the stuff and learn how thermals work. I mean, I've got uncles that are hardcore hunters, and even them, like... They, the ones that taught me, like, hey, you know, you hunt high in the mornings, hunt low in the evenings, and they still kind of think about that. I've kind of had have talks with them and explain. Actually, go out there and show with milkweed because you can't see it if you're not using milkweed or like uh, um, cattail duff, or there's some synthetic little wind floaters you can get as well. You you can't see it with like a puff bottle, like you just can't see it. You just it looks like wind, like oh, it's just blowing this one direction and all this stuff. You have to drop it where you can visually see this wind current. 50 60 80 yards out from you and seeing what it's doing because if not you're you're just you're guessing instead of actually dropping this where you can visually see what's happening because again none of us can see wind unless you got a smoke bomb out there so
1: yeah (laughs) i'm gonna start carrying them around with me you know I, i always heard you know campfire smoke and stuff deer doesn't bother them right so just just figure out a way to have that and i'll just let that baby rip all day (laughs)
0: <laughs> you, you 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 do that you do that and then, and then and then the forest service can get called because they think that someone's got like a, a fire out, so there's burning green and they're like what is happening in the mountains dude
1: yeah. oh that's just bow again yeah
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> like oh man no but you know it is it this all comes back down to shortening your learning curve like the quicker you can understand at least the basic understanding of thermals and that under really the most important thing is understanding the thermal switch and kind of figuring out like when that happens in your area. Once you understand that you're going to have a lot more confidence on your setups, but also potentially how these bucks are using that when checking scrapes or checking dough bedding areas and stuff like that. Um, it's it's really, really effective. It's just, you know, you gotta go out there, you gotta implement it, you gotta use milkweed or synthetic floaters or whatever. And the great thing about milkweed, dude, you can go find it in a lot of places. Um uh, so you don't have to go buy it, uh, which is super, super handy. I had a guy from actually PA send me like a one gallon Ziploc bag full of milkweed pods like four years ago. I probably use like a quarter of it so far. I mean, dude, and yeah, I dropped milkweed all the freaking time. Um, but it's just once you start figuring this stuff out, guys, and you start implementing like the thermal and the thermal switch and learning about it, you're going to have so much more confidence going out there. And you're going to, you're truly going to see more deer because you're going to understand how you can set up where you had that killing spot. Um, especially if you're, even if you're a mobile hunter, uh, I mean, this is something that you can really kind of pay attention to and you can go in off the map and kind of go in blind. If you're trying a new area and still think about thermals in mind and use it to your advantage.
1: Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart and others available at all times well you can with cyber scout from spartan forge cyber scout is like the chat gpt for outdoors men and women you can ask it any questions related to bow building scouting hunting survival and a whole lot more i think you'll be impressed with how it responds cyber scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20% and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com CVA. If you use the code EastMeetsWest10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Yeah no I I I definitely agree I think it, understanding that and then and taking it in and and then kind of you know reducing that learning curve the best that you can and then going in and figuring it out I think you I think you hit that that nail right on the head there I mean man we could honestly talk about this stuff for hours upon hours upon hours and not even really scratch the surface. But I feel like, I feel like we've, we've covered a, a pretty good amount and been able to give kind of uh, a basic framework and some examples there. Do you have anything else that you think you'd want to want to add here?
0: Uh, I mean, I, there, there's a couple things. that's probably worth either us doing in the second episode or having you on and kind of talk about some other factors because there's other things that we haven't talked about, which I personally have seen. And also what we've had guests talk about, especially when it comes to, Uh, the opposite effect of thermals. Because thermals, a lot of people think about thermals dropping, like uh, falling thermals are dropping, okay? Well, they can't just continue to drop. There's not a vacuum. Like once that air pressure builds up, it has to be released somewhere. And you can actually find areas where all these falling thermals are dropping down at the lowest point, and it's going to get pushed out the other side over the, the next shortest ridge or secondary ridge point. And you can actually hunt a spot in the mornings before daylight and have a rising thermal. It's a cool, It's cold air, but you can feel it coming up the hill all morning long uh and a lot of times you can find them on east facing slopes specifically and that is a spot one of our guests talks about now personally i've seen it michael pikes has now experienced it our two guests the, the jolly brothers have both experienced it too up in the mountains and like you don't know how to explain it until you understand that again the air has to go somewhere and once you can find those areas that's an area you mark in the map and you're behind that for a very long time a very long time
1: so what what makes an an area like that? Like what characteristics make it to to where that's the, the situation? Explain that a little bit from what you've seen and what the other guys have seen.
0: So the, it's it's the where the air is getting to the lowest point in that area. And what I mean by that, if you have super long creek drainage, it's not going to happen there. You're going to find it more so like upper high in your ridges or in and around um, like your big thermal hubs all the air is going to drop down and there's going to be a certain point when that pressure builds up there. It can't, it's not just going downhill. It's not just going down the Creek. It's coming up and over a small secondary ridge point. And what I mean that is like, you know, if you have 800 feet of elevation change in this, in one spot, it's not going to come all the way up that 800 foot. It's going to come up over the top of a secondary ridge point. That's maybe 250 feet or 300 feet off the bottom. Um, yeah. And if you find that that's an area, one of our past guests, David Toms from actually Texas he was the one that taught us about this and explained it to us. And then we started talking more about it and more and more people have been experiencing this is you can find areas when he scouts for them, And it's one of those things you just have to hunt around until you find that spot. But you're trying to find the lowest point in and around like a big ridge system. And that's where all that pool is going to happen. And then you start walking and hunting in and around the secondary ridge points around that area. And you find where that air is being pushed back over the top of it. Uh, And it's a spot he says, He'll do mock scrapes in those areas and, or you'll find a big, uh, like a primary scrape on the secondary ridge points right there because a buck, even in the mornings, it could be, you know, pitch black. He can cruise through just up above it and still scent check that spot and not have to drop all the way back down to the bottom. And he uses that to his advantage because he'll set up higher up on that ridge where he can shoot to that scraper right where that buck's coming through. Even at daybreak, he's still going to have a rising thermal in that area because all the air pressure's coming up and out of there. Um, and then, like Adam or uh, Adam Jolly, who we just interviewed, he had that happen when he killed his big thirteen point in North Carolina. Exact same thing. He was hunting a big thermal hub secondary ridge point. He didn't know it at the time, but he's like, "Man, I got in the stand. It was you know four thirty, you know, in the morning, two hours, you know, hour and a half, two hours before daylight, and the wind is like the Thermals are coming. The, the it's a slight wind current coming up the hill, but there was no actual wind. It's just that air pressure." And uh, that's how he killed that buck. The buck came in there, and he said, "If it was falling thermals, he would have been busted." Because the buck came from what should have been where the falling thermals were going. He was like, "There was no falling thermals that morning in that one location." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I found a spot like that."
1: Oh, that's so cool.
0: That was it was in Alabama, and then Michael hunted a spot in Alabama just like that. It's a um, an area actually. It's really high up on a ridge where you have a big drainage that comes down, and it makes a big. It's a big flat right there. It's almost like a bowl, and then it kind of like it rises back up and drops down again. And uh, he hunted that side of the ridge where that bowl was at, and hunted the spot. And it was again pitch black, dark in the morning. And he's like feeling like the air currents coming up, but there's no breezes. Light and variable day, and it's all that pressure, that air coming up over the ridge he was on, dropping back over the other side, and continuing falling down.
1: Oh man, that's that's so interesting. I'm not to pay attention to that more. I can't say that I've uh, that I've personally seen that, or I may have. I just hadn't really. Thought of it that way. That's 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 really interesting perspective, and it could be yeah, so so nice uh, as far as you know, find one of those spots and being able to set up on it. Like, man, talk about bulletproof.
0: Yeah, and it's even better. This is what David talks about, and actually, Adam saw this too. If it's an eastern facing like point, and that bowl is down below it and coming up over the top. You have two things. Number one, you have that that air pressure coming up and over that rise because, again, the air has got to escape somewhere. It just can't keep falling straight down into like a a, a bowl or into like a pool like that, a pool of air. And also you're facing east. So when that sun comes up, you're automatically getting a rising thermal, too, once it heats up that ground, too. So you have a rising thermal literally from pitch black before daylight all the way up until, you know, the thermal goes or the sun goes behind that ridge and it starts dropping later in the afternoon.
1: Uh, yeah, that makes sense. And, and and also, I mean, even with the eastern facing, depending on where you're at, having primarily, you know, westerly winds that are coming from, you know, the actual winds portions coming from that side, you're just in a really just awesome spot all around.
0: Yeah, I've been wanting to go to that area that Michael found that's like this and actually do a smoke bomb, like legit there, because you could do it at any point of the day. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be during season. And watch that smoke build up and then come up and out of it. Um, out of that bowl because that's where you could visually see this unless you had milkweed that you had someone drop from across the ridge, drop down and come back up to you. But like a smoke yeah. bomb would work really, really good It's showing like a visual of how that stuff's actually working for people.
1: Oh, that'd be cool to to do like a video of it. So you could see it as it's coming down and then, and ripping back up the other side.
0: Yep, absolutely. But that, and then also this real last thing here, just is worth this mentioning, uh, we had a guest down in Florida. This is for flat land specifically. But in areas that, um, uh, light and variable days, rising, rising sun and and setting sun, pulling thermals. So right, right when that sun comes up, there's a, there's a pulling thermal directly, uh, to the east. And then it's, it only lasts for like 10, 15 minutes and it stops when the sun gets up high enough. And the same thing in the afternoon was that sun starts to set the last 30 minutes or so. You have a pulling thermal to the west, uh, for a little bit until the sun sets and then it'll stop and pull straight down. Um, and he actually uses that to his advantage. He doesn't like to set up facing east or facing west, and he faces either south or north on his setups. and And hunts it more like a crosswind, using that thermals as like a crosswind for yourself.
1: Oh, really? I, that's that's another that's another interesting way of looking at it. I, man, I I still have so much to learn when it comes to to thermals. As much as I, you know, feel like I've learned so much, there's just always so much more in different situations that come to it. And, uh, who, who is the guy that you said, did you do a podcast on that one?
0: Yeah, that's Robert Carter. Uh, that was back when we were like in the one hundreds. Um, that was back okay. in 2019. I don't know. I can't remember the actual episode number, but he talked specifically about that, like hunting big swamps and, and flat areas that like, he never sets up where like the deer coming from say the East on a morning hunt facing the east if they're coming from the east he's backing up and where they're coming in kind of out in front of them because when that sun comes up from the east it's going to pull that thermal that direction and he was talking about that happens a lot during early season where they're at um early season but also even later in the season there's very light and variable conditions and uh, that pulling effect of the sun both as it rises for like again 15 20 minutes and then as it sets for again 15 20 minutes that effect
1: hmm interesting that is that is a cool uh uh something that something that he picked up on and learned there did um how else was I gonna I add something else to ask you on on that point what was there anything else that you is there any other situations or weird things that you want to throw out and and make people's head spin
0: mm, weird uh, yeah, or just comes, like, no, no, you know what I mean yeah. like
1: this abnormal type scenarios like that i'm that that intrigues me
0: um I'm trying to think. I mean, I had one last year, I was hunting a pine thicket, um, where you had, it's an area where they had replanted pines, and I was, I could not understand why I was not getting busted because I was sitting in the area, like these deer walking so close. It, the, the trees are so small. I was using, a, I couldn't use a saddle cause I felt like I was going to be like put at uh, I, w- I should have sat on the ground to be a hundred percent honest, but I had a stain, I brought a little lock on with me and literally sat it like two and a half feet off the ground up on this little hill. Because these pines are so small, like, yeah, you could probably hang a stand like six feet up, but like you had all these limbs in your way. So I'm trying to sit below where I could like shoot my bow downhill and there was a big scrape below me and like four or five trails crossing this pine thicket. And uh, the deer, the wind that morning is supposed to be like a southeast, so it's supposed to be hitting my face. I'm on the, there was a ridge that was dropping off, uh, I, I guess, off my left side of my face going straight down away from me. And that wind was supposed to kind of parallel that ridge going back up towards the access point. It's really this not super far off the road either. It's, it's probably less than 100 yards, but all the deer would cruise through these pines and bed in them where a lot of guys would not go in there and bow hunt because they're like, dude, I'm not going to go in there where, you know, it's like hand-to-hand combat with deer. I mean, you, shoot, you, you know, shoot a deer like under 25 yards and that stuff, like off the ground. And I had a buck chase a doe in and they came up from behind me. And it was one of these mornings where the, the thermals, my back was to the east. And that sun was coming up, and I wasn't even too worried about the thermals because I'm thinking this area, kind of low spot to my right, to the west, that my my scent was going to kind of pull up to, especially because, as it said, the wind was going to be kind of light and variable. And as these deer were kind of coming in and this buck was grunting, and, dude, I'm standing up, first off, I mean, unbelievably fired up, shaking, got my arrow knocked, dude. And I'm, like, standing up against this tree, like, on this platform. I mean, these deer are coming super close. Like, they're within 25 yards, Me, he's like, Brr. And I hear the doe walking too, and I can't see him. Like, I cannot see the deer, and I'm sitting <laughs> on the ground. And uh, I'm like, how are these deer not smelling me? Because the wind's going straight up the ridge, and they're coming over the top of the ridge. And again, it was one of those areas, even though it was super early in the morning, it's like 6, 6.30, all that thermals, again, were pulling straight down and away. The wind was so light in this in this pine thicket. The pine trees were so dense. Every now and then, you'd get like a little tough of wind from that southeast but most of the thermals were still drawing straight down into this little pool down below me. And I say pool, it's a pooling little area. It's not like actual water there, but it's a little low yeah. spot. And I mean, these deer, the doe came in within like, I mean, eight yards of me, dude. And she stepped out and she was perfectly brought So, oh my God, this is also early than Bosa. I mean, I will, this is like a, I say early than This is like a, yeah, I told you like, it doesn't get good here until like December. Uh, and our yeah. season goes to February. And it was like, I think December the 2nd. And this right now when some does started coming to heat, And then she steps out and I'm one of those guys that I love shooting does with my bow. And I like, I'm like, I'm not going to shoot her. And then she's like perfectly broadside, like eight yards. And I'm like, Oh, I kind of want to shoot her, but I'm like, I can't, I would never be able to like live with myself. if I shoot this. And it's a freaking big buck behind her. Cause I didn't know, I don't know if it's a year and a half year old buck. just like running behind her. If it's freaking one big deer we got on camera. And, uh, she turns and comes walking straight towards me, and I'm like drawn back, looking, and I'm like, "Where's the buck? At where's the buck?" And I can hear him walking, and it was like a, a like a, a row of briars and vines and crap that she just came through, and she gets to like I think probably seven yards or eight yards from me, uh, roughly, and uh, she's walking broadside, and she just like happens to, like snap her head over, and I'm I'm right there looking at her, and she's yeah. like, "Dude, it didn't." I thought she was gonna kill herself because she went inside and out. Spun around and ran. I thought she was going to run into a tree and kill herself because it's so tight in there with <laughs> pine trees. And she just was gone. And then that buck, he just stood there, like she, he didn't, he didn't even move. He just stood there. She took off running, and then all I hear is like this, like probably forty five seconds later, him start to walk in, walking after her, and, and just like doing that walking. Around, I was like, dang, dude. And uh, anyway,s it happened to me a couple more times that morning with some more deer that came through. Same situation again. The wind when I was up at my truck. The wind was pretty strong southeast, but as I dropped down into this thick pines, it was almost like a bubble or a buffer. Like the wind wasn't penetrating through those those tops of those pine trees, and uh, it was just going over the top. And the thermals were just
1: pulling straight down, uh, blowing. Uh, okay. So <laughs> did um uh, did, you, did you ever get to see the buck? What it was? No,
0: no not at all. ever no, I mean, never? <laughs> I mean d- dude, the <laughs> deer, he was he, he was within easily twenty yards and could not see the deer. And like I didn't see her until she came out. She was probably like at ten yards when she came out. 10, 11 yards when she came out, and that was it. And when, even with stuff she's coming through, she's coming through thick enough. I'm like, I would have to like pick a hole. Like, I'm like going back and forth, leaning back and forth a little bit, trying to find like a spot. Like if he steps out, like where I can shoot through. Um, and that's kind of that relates kind of like what southern hunting's like. Yeah, you can hunt these big, pretty river bobs and stuff, and like pretty you know hardwood bridges. But like a lot of the places that like, where we hunt on public land, they're in those pine thickets, and like you're either sitting on the ground or you're very low in the tree and you're just trying to get a quick opportunity at them. Uh, but it's an area like I had a buck later on that same day. I got down this week. Maybe we can end with this. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve.
1: (laughs) It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased community based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Got
0: down, and the way this uh this thicket works, there's a big hardwood drainage that runs up in this this pine plantation where they had planted these pines, and these pines are like 10 years old. Again, they're about, you know, five, maybe five, six inches in diameter. And started to find all this big buck sign going around the tip of that point, which is real thick and nasty. Rubs, scrapes, big, huge tracks. I'm following it kind of scouting midday, because I'm like, man, you know, rut's really about to kick up the next five, seven days. Like, I need to, like, try to find some spots in here. And I walked down, I drop down I fall on this trail and there's a huge community scrape where four or five trails come together just adjacent to that big thick point uh, where there's a little water oak and a little water oak sapling. Deer, the tree probably wasn't three inches in diameter and they had it shredded, it had rubs on it, but also like a huge scrape out in front of it with a bunch of different big licking branches. And I'm there messing with it. I'm like, man, this looks crazy. I'm actually trying to grab a top of that, that tree and bend it down to give them an extra licking, licking branch or two. And while I'm doing it's quiet. It's light and variable winds now. Like, it, it was a little bit of wind that morning, and then it was totally light yeah. and variable. Thermals are rising. Thun, sun's kind of penetrating the pines now. Thermals are rising. I'm messing around with this branch, and all of a sudden, I hear, I mean, running, like, right at me. And I'm like, what the? And, dude, I, I like, spin around, take an arrow off, and, like, knock it, okay? And I kneel on the ground. It's thick enough, like, when you stand up. I could see the feet of something maybe at 20 yards, but, like, I can't see anything until, like, I'm kneeling on the ground. I can, like, look underneath stuff. And and all I see is hooves running, like, feet running towards me, deer feet coming towards me, this big and loud. And it stops right at that little buffer about 20 yards from me. And, like, I'm, like, drawing back now, looking. I'm leaning left, leaning right, like, trying to see what it is. And uh, it turns and run off, and I saw a a tiny He blew, and it was a freaking big deer, dude. I don't know how big, but – he was in that area when I found out, because I could hear him so specifically when he got up. He was bedded, and I didn't go look at his bed, because I was like, man, I'm going to come in here and hunt it. And I hunted the next day, and didn't freaking see the deer. deer. didn't want to come in. And again, probably was on me. He probably knew I was in there, based off how I set up, because it's tight quarters. I was like five and a half feet off the ground in a little platform, a little stand. But he was bedded just off that thick point, like right when it went from like pines into the hardwoods, and it was real thick and viney. He was bedded right there, um, probably 35 40 yards from this scrape where he could hear if something came in there to work the scrape which is probably what he probably thought I was doing because I was messing with the licking branches kind of pulling be- other branches down making noise he probably thought it was another buck in there messing with it and was coming in there hot and heavy um but yeah. that that was crazy but again it was light and variable conditions super strong thermals by that point I mean I'm sitting there dropping milkweed and it's going straight up through these pine trees and or like or like you know, like floating around me so like he didn't smell me he saw me as I was sitting there and just freaking blew and took yeah. off So yeah, crazy.
1: Oh man, that is that is crazy. And uh, those spots, I I, it's funny. I found a spot this spring that was like that with like the pines that are thick and i literally had to you'd be on the ground to be able to see underneath it to shoot to this logging road that was kind of wrapping around uh down below it and uh yeah you couldn't get in a tree would done you no good so it's like it's just tight quarters and what i actually do sometimes in that is i'll put my saddle on the tree just on the ground just so i have a place to sit in and uh can you know be a little bit more comfortable than just sitting right on the ground because that sucks
0: no, it does. Yeah, absolutely. No. Uh, hundred, hundred hundred percent. No, but that is that is like a really good tip for guys. Like, if you got a ton of hunting pressure, I've never, ever, ever, ever ran into a single person. And we get some really crazy hunting pressure at certain times of the year, especially on these gun hunts. I've never ran into somebody that's in that kind of stuff because they always want to get on the outside edge. And the thing is, that's where the deer are at and you can get in there. And if you scout them out, you can scout the trails and everything and the movement. And you can find these pinch points at the head of these drainages. And some of them, at least in our area, they're so thick. You can't hunt in around them. You can hunt kind of up above them and kind of watch them. Um, but that's an area I'm going to definitely gonna try to kill a deer or two in that specific spot this year, because it sets up so good. And now the trees are getting a little bit bigger where it's still thick in there. But again, I can put a stand six feet up and it doesn't take you getting up very high to like just get out of the line of sight of the deer. Cause they've got their head down looking around scanning. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just crazy. So yeah, that's a, that's a super hot tip. If you've got like short pines or even cedars like that. A lot of guys aren't willing to go in there and either sit on the ground or sit super low in a stand or a saddle uh, to hunt it. And it, it can be crazy the kind of sign and also the kind of movement you find in there all day long.
1: Yeah. Same thing with like some old clear cuts too. You can get into stuff like that where they're not big enough trees that you can even hang in. Um, but, but it, it can still be good. And you find some of these logging roads that mix in that might have a big scrape on or something, but it's so thick and, but it's open enough that you get shots through it. Cause it's starting to grow up and you're getting some trees, you know, you know, even six inches in diameter and some of the, some of the bigger ones and it can, it can be pretty good, but not many people want to do it because they can't. They can't figure out how to get in any of those spots.
0: I call it, a it's a, um, it's, it's how I describe like a low odds hunt success because it's so tight quarters in there. They're kind of like me. Like I was deer were well within bow range and still, still couldn't get them shot. And that's where I kind of get at with this is like, you can have a lot of opportunities in there as in like seeing and hearing deer, but it's very hard to get shots off, um, but when you do, dude, it's so rewarding. Like I, I haven't killed deer like that in Alabama. I killed deer like that in Tennessee before slipping in and uh, into a little thicket. And it shot a doe off the ground as they were coming feeding through. And then as I'm, like, stepping forward after she's gone, ran off, and died, stepping forward to go look at blood because she was, like, again, 12 yards from me, super tight quarters. I stepped forward, and all I see is more legs coming through the woods or coming through the thick stuff. And I look up in his antlers. It's probably, like, a 120-inch buck, which was awesome. And, uh, I go to grab grab an arrow and he catches me. I'm in the open. I was, I had been standing up against a cedar when I shot her and I was out in the open. He busted and ran out there. I was like, dang, but I mean, you can definitely do it. It's again, kind of getting out of your comfort zone. Again, if you're not having success doing what you're doing, you got to change some stuff and going into those thick stuffs, that thick cover, you can definitely find some awesome opportunities.
1: Oh yeah. And the one last thing I'll say is, and I am, I'm late for another meeting. So I, (laughs) I do have to wrap it up here, but what I, what I wanted to say was, uh, um, Oh, where are I? I just lost my train of thought. Oh, like okay, so like when I was talking about uh, that one spot I hunted way earlier on in the podcast, talking about these this hemlock side hill, and it's like always pulling downward thermals. Well, it's so it's so thick with hemlocks in there, and I'll hunt like some of these little tiny openings that might be in it, and some old like logging roads that run through through it. Or I don't even know if they're actually logging roads; I just call any road that goes through there logging <laughs> road. But uh, but like I'd be hunting these spots and it's so heavily covered that it gets dark like 20 minutes before like even legal shooting light. So it's like, that's one thing that I've noticed and it's like, okay, it's quiet in there. Cause the usually underneath the hemlocks doesn't have a lot of stuff that they can step on or be loud or there's no leaves or anything, you know? So it's like, it's quiet and you, you can't see very far. So it's like, you can be in the game and not in the game at the same, same time. When, when I was, when we were filming the the film, the long haul, I had Justin, uh, who films all my hunts with me and we were hunting a spot for this specific deer and didn't see a deer all day. And I literally walked out past one of my cameras and I was just kind of mad and I didn't even check it. And I came back in like a month later and checked it. And that buck was there. He was only 120 yards from us. And, but it's just so thick that I, I couldn't see, I couldn't hear. There was no that, that was it. But, and that, that was also a trust your gut moment. Cause that's where I was going to set up. And I even stopped and looked at it and then had a change of thought. I'm like, well, nah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, and I just went and did something different, but nevertheless, it's, uh, it's, it's always fun. That's for sure. Close quarter stuff though. Close quarter combat, man. It's, it's fun when you get into it though.
0: Yeah, it is. But you know, I'll say this, This kind of wrap up. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, but I hope the listeners have too. I know I talk very fast, and some of your listeners might complain, like, "Man, that guy talked way too fast. He needs to slow down." But uh, dude, it's exciting. I get excited about these topics, and it, it's hard. Yeah. It's not. It's hard not to like really kind of dive deep on these conversations because these are the kind of things that like are real applications. Like we got so many listener success stories last year. It was over like two hundred that came in where listeners had gone out and implemented things that guests had talked about on the podcast, and we have discussed to go out and and shoot, whether it's their first public land buck, it might be the best public land buck. It might be their first deer ever, whatever, but they've gone and implement stuff. And a lot of them came from thermals. Like when people understood how to start figuring out the thermal aspect, became way more successful uh so again i hope this I hope there's a lot of key points from this episode that listeners were able to take away for themselves because i think it would really help them be successful and kind of open their mind if they're not already keying on these different topics so again but i appreciate Yo. you letting me come on and it's been an awesome podcast dude so you keep on rocking it dude
1: no I, I appreciate it. I I get pumped up on these episodes too and like and you just you hit the nail on the head like this, this is an episode that you you save you listen to it once you listen to it you listen to it once and just listen to it and then you go back and you take notes on it again and and I'm saying that because like these are the there's so much jam packed into this here that if you can uncover it and start just applying a third of it, you know, tomorrow and start thinking about it, you'll just, you'll be so much further ahead. And so thank you for coming on Jacob. Like that's, that's, um, I'm excited that we finally got to link up and, and you'd be able to come on.
0: Absolutely. We appreciate it. You know, appreciate coming on here and sharing, you know, this stuff that we've learned or I've learned and, you know, me and Andrew have learned just from different guests and gone out there and implemented. And again, biggest takeaway guys is you know, anything on this podcast, definitely start learning that thermal switch and, and paying attention to that. Cause you'll have so much more success. So again, Bo, thank you for coming on Well. will Thanks for letting me come <laughs> you're on. I'm over here like, dude, I'm like, oh man, we're rocking the Southern Outdoorsman podcast right now. But no, thank you for letting me come on, dude. It's been fun talking with you. And uh I know you I know you're busy. We blew past that one hour and fifteen minute time. I just now looked down and saw that. But uh thanks again, guys, and hey, uh good luck to you this fall, but I know you're gonna have a busy fall, it's gonna be exciting.
1: Yeah, you too, man. And tell everybody where they can find out some more. Obviously, the Southern Outdoorsman podcast, anywhere there's podcasts, but is there anywhere else that you want to direct people to to find out your stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can just go and, of course, if you're on social media, you can find us at the Southern Outdoorsman, and it's M-E-N, not Southern Outdoorsman, but men, M-E-N, or check us out on any major listening platform, uh, the Southern Outdoorsman podcast, uh, it our podcast is a little bit different. This was very much more of a conversational show, and ours is like a lot of like getting like super detailed questions. But sometimes I wish it was more like conversational because these are like the more fun episodes, I think, <laughs> from <Yeah. laughs> from an, inter, an interviewer style. But guys, you can check that out uh, again. Very, very kind of detailed conversations about all kinds of topics with successful hunters, and whether if you're in the southeast or not. Again, I'm sure there's some big uh, key takeaways that you can get from specific episodes. So, again, Bo, thank you for letting me come on. And uh, hey. Now time to get over to our next podcast.
1: Heck yeah, man. All right. Well, we'll, we'll catch up with you soon, Jacob. I'm sure this isn't the last time we'll, uh, we'll talk here. So let's, uh, let's talk to you soon. Absolutely. All right. See you, man.